Series 5, Series 5, Series 5, Series 5! Welcome to another episode of Two Guys, One Topic. I'm Ollie. And I'm Liam, back for Series 5 with more energy than ever, aren't we, Ollie? Yes, we are. If we've got any new listeners, any new fans out there, each episode we take a topic that we know next to nothing about for most of the time, and we give ourselves just a week to read and research all about it. Uh, we then share what we feel are the most important pieces of information with you, our listeners. And we need to let everybody know that we are not experts in anything that we talk about. This is just a summary of our findings. Hopefully, we can all learn a little bit more about a whole lot of things by us sharing some knowledge with you. Yeah, so should we get on with this week's topic, Ollie, which is the first in a new series? And we'll talk about why we picked it shortly. But this week, we have learned all about Antarctica. Here we go, Liam. Super exciting. Back for Series 5, covering Antarctica. Really looking forward to getting into this. How have you been doing? Oh, wow, I've been missing it. I haven't learned anything for a few weeks. I feel like my brain's like slowed down. <laughs> I've, uh, I've enjoyed this week getting back into it and, um, you know, just picking up those random facts and, and, and improving my knowledge, I guess. Absolutely. This is a super interesting topic that we've done this week. But before we we get into it, we've been enjoying some of the messages. So just in between the series, we seem to have had a load of messages coming in from all different people from all over the world, um, which we love. So we, we normally do this at the end of the episode. So for anyone who doesn't then hang on to the end, if you want to get in contact with us, it's at Two Guys One Topic on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. What have some of the people been saying, Liam? So our, our, one of our new listeners, Kath, lives in Western Australia, which might be the other side of the planet from us. Uh, she suggested meteorites in a, as, a, as an episode. You know, I know you love space. Yes. So uh, I love that suggestion. Friend of a friend of a friend of a friend at work, Craig, has suggested we do an episode on mullets. I think he's trying <laughs> to grow a mullet and he, he suggested maybe we could learn all about mullets. <laughs> um, what do you think about that one? Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> that goes down to the, the hubcaps bracket for me. Yeah, Worcestershire Um Hannah LeClue suggested an episode on anesthesia, which I think is like, you know, when you get put to sleep in a hospital? Yeah. Is that, is that yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what she means? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, thanks to everybody, you know, putting in suggestions. We do read them, we do make notes of them, we do add them to our list of, of future episodes. So, you know, keep listening in case we do an episode on mullets um, later this series. <laughs> But these suggestions are coming in from all over the world. And it just got us thinking a little bit that, yeah, thanks so much for everybody, for all of the interest and everyone listening. And we are listening to in over 100 countries now, which absolutely blows our minds um, that, that people are enjoying it. So thank you for that. And we were thinking that we'd probably love to have a little bit of help from the listeners this series, wouldn't we? And just trying to see if we can try and share some knowledge in even more countries. Yeah, we want to, yeah, we'll try and mention it each week. You know, if you know someone in another, in a random country or a random location in the world, if you want to let us know who they are and where they are, we give them a shout out. That might get us, um, you know, worldwide. We'd like to go everywhere, wouldn't we? You know, the minute <laughs> we're half the world, I'd like to be in all the world, please. Um, <laughs> that's sort of why we picked this topic, isn't it? We got to thinking, where is, you know, in a conversation, where's the most remotest place where someone could listen to this podcast? And we yes. thought, well you know, the least habitable place on earth. Uh, and then 
lo and behold, we're in Antarctica, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, as Liam was saying, if you know somebody in a pretty random remote place, send us a message and just let us know that you're going to try and share some knowledge with them, get them onto the pod, and we'll give you both a shout out. So um, yeah, let's get on with this week's topic, Liam. What did you know about Antarctica before you started to look into it? Probably what everybody else knows. It's a continent. It's enormous. It's very cold. It's right at the south of the earth. Um, Pretty snowy. Not very habitable. That's about it. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Probably not more than that. Yeah, I, I reckon I'm probably pretty similar to you on that this week. Yeah, heard about it. But I was quite keen to understand some more of those actual facts and stats about it, like how it was discovered and, yeah, what's the whole point of it, really? So should we get yeah, on? Yeah, exactly. What is the point of it was one of the first things we said, weren't we, when we were discussing what, like, why are people there? Like, it seems like a ridiculous place to be. So, yeah, let's crack on with it, shall we? So I think the first thing is we should be a bit more precise about where it is, yes. how big it is how cold it is, that sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds good. So for everybody, as Liam sort of mentioned there, it is the world's southernmost and it's the fifth largest continent. So Antarctica is a continent and its its landmass is pretty much wholly covered by massive ice sheets. Yeah, that are about, on average, about a mile thick. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> That's a lot of ice. Oh, that's nuts. <laughs> a mile thick of ice. Yeah, just talking about size-wise, so it's the fifth biggest continent. It is, it's about one and a half times the size of Europe, and it's nearly double the size of um, Oceania, Australia, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So in, in other words, I'm trying to put that into some sort of context about it being, it's five and a half million square miles and that means that you could probably, not probably, you can fit the United States in it. Um, that's how massive it is. It's It's got a number of things that it's the most of. So I can just reel off a couple of these for you. Yeah. I, I read somewhere that it's it's known as the, the continent of superlatives, and it says that it's the highest, driest, windiest, coldest, and iciest continent, which, yeah, holds the records for all of those. Yeah, it it just it changes in size though, doesn't it? We've said there it's just five and a half million square miles, but between winter and summer, it changes quite dramatically, like in the millions of square miles. Yeah. Between like its size, as it sort of, you know, I guess as it gets colder, it gets more ice. Um but yeah, it's the largest single piece of ice on earth. It it represents about 90% of the world's ice. Which, if you think about it, that is absolutely mind-boggling. Because <laughs> what about the other pole? Yeah. What about the North Pole? What about the Arctic? Do, what, you're telling me that doesn't have anywhere? Like, that's insane. <laughs> what about all the ice that's on, like, mountains and things like that? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, how much of that is there? There must be loads of that. I know. Like, if, if you've been skiing and you've looked out and you've seen how much ice, like, how much snow and that, it looks <laughs> like is there. You're trying to yeah. tell me that 90% of the world's ice is in antarctica but of that so it's about 75 so sort of read a couple of between 70 and 80 percent so about 75 percent of the world's fresh water is also in antarctica 
Yeah, that's yeah. So yeah, we're talking not salty seawater, are we? This is like drinking water, like yeah. fresh water. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how it can have that much ice. But like I said, if it's a mile thick and it's 5.5 million square miles, that's probably a lot of ice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. That's a, we ain't messing around there. 7 million cubic miles of ice, apparently. Uh, so uh, um, it, it's very cold, though, isn't it? Have you, do you Did you read, like, general temperatures? Yeah, it is absolutely um, yeah mind-boggling. So average temperature in July at the South Pole is about minus 56. And the average temperature in January in the South Pole is about minus 25. So it's a pretty cold yeah. place to be, isn't it? In, in the summer, though, in the summer, it can hit a very balmy nine degrees um, in the coast. Not so much in the, in the middle where it's really, really cold, but on the coastal areas where it's just a slightly more warmy, uh, it can get to about nine. So sun cream. I think you probably do need sun cream, though, because you get like um, snow burn, don't you? You get that skiing as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to need to put that on. It's it's very dry though, isn't it? Oh, it's super dry. And this this is interesting. Like for people who maybe haven't really considered this before, it might have come up in one of our other pods. But it's actually classified as a desert, isn't it? Yeah, deserts are basically they they, they are dry. They consist of practically no vegetation or very limited areas of vegetation. So this this is classified as as a desert. But I mean, there are. Did you read about the McMurdo Dry Valley? No, no, I don't know this. Right. So this is the driest place on earth. Now, bearing in mind, you like you, this, you think it's all snowy, right? So you just think it just snows and rains all the time. Yes. But it's so cold that that doesn't happen. It's yes. just what is there is just it's just always there. So in this in these dry valleys which are about 2,000 miles south of New Zealand, for the, the McMurdo Dry Valleys, it is estimated that it hasn't rained there for 2 million years. <laughs> what? <laughs> How is it's that even known? Today. How is that even uh, known? <laughs> 2 million no years. That is unbelievable. No idea. But yeah, so, so a desert, yeah. it's, it's all measured on, as Liam was saying, like precipitation. And it just doesn't rain there. It doesn't really snow. Sort of, if stuff hangs around in the air, it then will settle and it will just sort of stay there. And it's just over millions and millions of years, it's turned into this absolutely enormous ice sheet. And obviously, hasn't rained for two million years in McMurdo Valleys. So another fact I found really interesting, and some people might know this: their days and nights are a bit doolally, aren't they? Um, <laughs> If I went to Antarctica for a day, and by day I mean I'm going to stay there until it gets dark and then I'm going to leave, how long would I be there for? <laughs> You'd be there a lot longer than 24 hours, wouldn't you? It's like six months. Yeah. It's pretty much six months of day followed by six months of night. And what? There's not very much in between, is there? It sort of cuts off straight between one to the other, almost like there isn't like much of a transition. Yeah, no, no, it's just, um, yeah, on the equinox, uh, the days just pretty much shift from being summer to, to, to um, winter, almost, you know, overnight almost, yeah. just because of the nature of where it is on the planet. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll get to it later, but there, there are people there, there are scientists on Antarctica. Um, but if you're there, they call it, if you overwinter, is what they call it, by the way, if you're there overwinter, um, yeah, it's just dark, six months. Ouch. Yeah, that's that's big time. 
especially when it's so cold. Um, I know something that you always like to look into, Liam, is the etymology of a place or a word. I don't know. Did you manage to get into that this week? Yes, I certainly did. I know you got your badge a couple episodes ago, but I'm going to, you know, big dog's back. So (laughs) the name, um, so the Greeks, right, they knew about the Arctic and they called it Arctos, as in, which is the bear of the constellation so they decided to call the arctic the arctic is called the arctic because of the greek word arctos meaning the bear now they're pretty clever weren't they the greeks and we've we've known this before in lots of other episodes they thought that there must therefore be the opposite if there's one up high there must be one down low okay they just called it antarctos as in opposite the bear they didn't know it was there they just assumed it probably should be and then they were right and yeah, it was just cool. a game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's called like Ant- it. Antarctica because of the word Antarctos opposite the bear. Um, nice. They, they knew about the bear. They just didn't know about that there was another one on the other side. No, that's cool. And it, part of this comes down to like when it was discovered and when people first started knowing about it is the Arctic. So the North Pole, that's somewhere which is covered by a lot of land. So it's that's like ice like surrounded by land by different countries whereas antarctica that what we're doing that's a sheet of ice which is covered by sea covered by ocean uh, sorry surrounded by sea surrounded by ocean so it's a lot harder to get to and took a lot lot longer for anybody to then actually discover it and it wasn't seen am i right in saying this it wasn't actually seen until about 1820 by a bunch of fishermen yeah, some um, yeah, some Russia, a guy from the Russian Navy, couple of a guy from Britain, and a a sealer, I guess, somebody who goes hunting seals yep. from the United States. Uh, they all spotted it about eighteen, all about the same time. There's a bit of debate over who spotted it first. I think it became a bit of like we found it, no, we found it, no, I've seen it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they basically saw it, but yeah, like you're saying, it, it's so out the way, really. It's not really near any land, so. There's no real need to go there. Yeah. So no one really ever did. Yeah. And so they spotted it about 1820. Um, then about 1901, Captain Robert Scott, it, we'll talk more about him, came a bit famous in a minute. He led the first expedition to try and um, go to the, the South Pole on Antarctica um, with Ernest Shackleton and Edward Wilson. But they were first to, forced to turn back after about two months um, because of the, the weather, I guess. You know, it's, it's pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, but then about 10 years later... The race to the South Pole began, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. So Scott, he then made it his aim to actually get to the South Pole, hadn't he? He had, he had some other experience of doing some, some expeditions and he then set his heart on, right, I'm going to be the first person to lead an exped- expedition and get ourselves to the South Pole. And there was a, another chap around the similar time called Roald Amundsen. And he was a Norwegian explorer. He'd done quite a bit of exploring himself, um, cold weather exploring, and he had decided that he was going to try and go to the North Pole. But in order of the preparation and getting ready to go to the North Pole and getting the funding that he needed in terms of equipment and kit and food and dogs and that that then help you get there, he got wind that actually two other people had already gone to the North Pole and discovered it. And this Robert Amundsen... He decided last minute 
well, decided to tell people last minute, but he switched his plans, didn't he? He then said, right, if that's already been taken, if the North Pole's gone, I'm going to head south. Let's get to the South Pole. Yeah, he basically, yeah, that's exactly it. He basically didn't really tell anybody. He went south almost at exactly the same time as Robert Scott did. So they're both now heading south to try and get to the South Pole. Amundsen actually parked up uh, where, where, they, where they hit land. He was about 60 miles ahead of Scott. So he had a bit of an advantage anyway. And yeah, and it became a bit of, it was an unofficial race, but it sort of turned into a race. His advantage being he was a bit more skilled and prepared, I think, wasn't he? He had, he had skilled people with him. He knew how to use his dogs. Um, do you know, he took, so he took 52 dogs and uh, the intention was always to kill them, eat them and feed them to the other dogs. Yeah. Wow. And Yeah. So, uh, so he, he had that, he could ski well, whereas, Scott was a, he was, you know, in, in, in his, like, after the fact, it came out that perhaps he was, um, he was criticized a lot for like what he chose to do and take with him. Um, he didn't take enough dogs, didn't take enough men or the men he took weren't experts. You know, he took ponies. Yeah, he took ponies, um, which if, apparently looking back after the fact they didn't have snowshoes on, so they didn't get very far, even though snowshoes have been packed, they didn't actually wear them. Um, he also took some motorised vehicles, didn't he? But had trouble getting a couple of them off the boat. He then, a couple of them got stuck pretty one. quick. Yeah. So it, one, one got lost. And he, he also left behind the one person of his group who was an expert. There was some sort of rule to do with naval, like looking after the boat, leaving the boat. And he had to leave a guy behind who actually would have helped him had he had he gone. So, and, and so what happened where you've got these... as as we were saying, you've got these, these two people leading five men, as in they, there were five men in each um, of these expeditions that were going on. Yeah, Roald Amundsen and Robert Scott. So Roald Amundsen, he was actually the first person to reach the South Pole, and he did so on the 14th of December, 1911. Yep. And it was unclear for a while whether Robert Scott actually did get there but it turns out the reason why it became unclear is because he didn't him and his team then didn't make it back did they so unfortunately they all died on the expedition back and weren't there to really tell the tale so instead they just had to rely on the the diaries and the notebooks of Robert Scott and the people on his expedition to sort of understand if they made it there and what their journey had been like. Yeah, his um, diary had a pretty grim quote, didn't it? So, yeah, so Robert Scott did make it to the pole on the 17th of January, which was 33 days later. He died on the return. His last entry was dated about two months after that, so on his way back to his boat. Um, And he, he had a quote in there saying this, had we lived... I should have had a tale to tell of the hardihood, endurance and courage of my companions, which would have stirred the heart of every Englishman. These rough notes and our dead bodies must tell that tale. How sad that? <laughs> that is, that's horrendous, isn't it? And then he, he then went on to say, this is maybe you know, even worse. So this, this is his last entry into his diary saying, but surely, surely, a great rich country like ours will see that those who are dependent on us are properly provided for. So he knows that he's going to die. He's hoping that someone finds his diary 
and then they managed to raise money for his wife and his family and his he left a, a one-year-old boy behind as well um his son actually um, went on to then set up the the world wildlife foundation the wwf um so he oh, wow. went on to have a, a pretty notable career himself but yeah pretty grim amundsen though he, he he's got a pretty good quote as well his his is um i may say that this is the greatest factor the way in which the expedition is equipped, the way in which every difficulty is foreseen and precautions taken for meeting or avoiding it. Victory awaits him who has everything in order. Luck, some people call it. Yeah, nice. So he's basically saying some people think he's got lucky, but he prepared properly. And just going back to what Liam was saying earlier, Amundsen took a crew of people who he ensured that they could all ski and that they knew what they were doing in cold weather situations. Whereas Robert Scott, he took people and he had somebody who could ski, who was almost like teaching them to ski on the expedition and yeah. <laughs> like left it a bit late. <laughs> like, just thinking, oh my word. Um, and then also little things like the, that there was a known issue with the, like the camp stoves effectively that were around at the time that they would then leak the gas that you would then need to get warmth and okay. help snow and you need to be drinking quite a lot even though you're you're on the expedition it, it takes a lot of energy out of you and Amundsen knew how to prevent the leak he managed to seal all the bottles whereas apparently Robert Scott didn't and so that's pretty grim they then they then ran out of gas to then keep themselves warm and cook food and everything and they were 11 kilometers short of their yeah, they were. their base of where they would have then got food and and heating and warmth yeah. to then get themselves to then carry on the journey. Yeah. One of the um, largest scientific research stations, which I guess we'll talk about in a little bit, on um, Antarctica is now called the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station in honour of them. So, you know, pretty, it's a pretty big deal, their story, that, that race that they had. So, yeah. yeah, I thought that was really interesting learning that. But, okay, so onwards then. Next sort of thing we, we said we would ask and between us is, is it a country? <laughs> yeah. like, I'm trying to go to all the countries in the world. So do I need to go to Antarctica? <laughs> but it turns out it isn't actually a country, is it? So it is a continent. There are, there are no countries there and there's no native population that's ever been there. But there are a number of countries that have tried to lay claim to it over the years, being New Zealand, Australia, France, Norway, United Kingdom, Chile. There are a number of countries that are saying that I want to have this, but instead something pretty incredible happened called the Antarctica Treaty. Yeah, about 1957, 58 sort of time, there were a bunch of scientists, um, all from all these different countries. And um, being scientists, they realised the importance of basically sharing what they were doing and cooperating with each other, um, you know, for the greater good. And it's sort of one of very few times when people decided to like work together and they sort of signed a treaty sort of saying as much like it, it will be no one's country. It will be neutral. And we will all work together as scientists on this land like forever, basically. Essentially, they then signed something called the Antarctica Treaty, which established the continent as a neutral location to be used exclusively for peaceful scientific purposes. I like that. that sums it up. That's really cool. Really cool. And so this treaty, it applies to anywhere south of the 60 degree latitude line so when you see when we look on a globe and you see all those lines going around yeah okay so it 
that treaty applies to anything which is 60 degrees south. And it's it's a pretty short treaty as well. You know, normally you hear about these things that will be pages and pages and really, really long. It's only it's only got 14 points to it. So it's nice and succinct. And it's just saying things exactly what you just said there about making sure that it's it's used as a, in a peaceful and a scientific way. Stuff like the treaty says it prohibits nuclear explosions or disposing yeah. of radioactive waste there. Yeah. No, no military activity. The environment shall be protected. You know, those sorts of things. No mining, no territorial claims, all these like nice things. Yeah. So it's basically, it's, it's for everybody. Let's not mess it up. Scientific research will always continue and will always be shared. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Um, so it's, yeah, n- nobody really owns it. There's, I think there's about 50 something, 54 countries have signed up to it now to all agree. That's right. um, if we come, we will, do, we will stick with this. We agree with this. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, more more and more countries have then signed up to it. And there's there are some specific rules around, you know, where vehicles can go and making sure that they they leave it as you find it. So if you then go off and do some exploring over parts of the continent, that it almost looks like you were never there. So it's really trying to make sure it keeps its natural beauty and remains untouched, which is pretty cool. But there is there is some review on that treaty, isn't there? It's not a timeless one. There's some sort of review on it in 2048, is it, around mining? Yeah, about mining, yeah. So we don't know whether, I mean, I guess they're going to say no more mining still, but yeah, who's to say they're not going to mine it in future. But I thought, you know, once I found that out and I found out this this existed and scientists think it's such a big deal, I was like, like what's the point of it? Like, it's so cold it's so out of the way. It's so like inhospitable. Like we're never going to be able to live there. Why bother? <laughs> Almost. Um, and uh, I can sum it up like this, all right? If you've listened to our International Space Station episode, I think Antarctica and particularly the science that happens on there is basically the International Space Station on the south of the Earth. Because of, it, because of the nature of its environment, it makes a really good place to do science that you can't yes. do anywhere else. Yes. And that's exactly what we found out about the ISS. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like, you know, the stuff you can do there, you can't do anywhere else on the planet. So that is why there are scientists there. Yeah, yeah, there, there are scientists. There are some animals, there are some different species um, and a little bit of an ecosystem that exists there. So you've got animals such as, well, have you got polar bears there? Um, this could be a takeaway, couldn't it? I, I think there's not polar bears there, but there are penguins. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is that the right way around? Yeah, 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 definitely. So there's, yeah, there's there's no polar bears. If people were wondering, South Pole is penguins. North Pole is polar bears. Um, yeah, you don't get penguins in the North Pole either. But you you get you get whales and penguins and seals, and they all depend. All the ecosystem depends massively on krill which are those tiny little fish, almost like prawn-sized shaped things. And they all eat that. And then there are other predators that then come along, orcas and leopard seals. They then go and eat the, the penguins and um, other animals that have been there living. So so they'll be on, on Antarctica, they'll be marine biologists then, and they will be studying that ecosystem and how that is working and how they're all relying on each other because they can't study that anywhere else. Yes. You know, there's lots of ologists. So there are there are about 70 bases, though, just quickly. There are about 70 bases all around Antarctica, the vast majority of which are on the coast. 
Um, but yeah, lots of ologists. There'll be what the ones called the look at space. Uh, Spaceologists. What they Astronomers. <laughs> Spaceologists. <laughs> yeah. Astronomers. Because it's like, you know, it's an excellent place for astronomy because there's no light pollution. Climatologists are there studying that, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, there was one that you know, I learned this week that I didn't know about was a glaciologist, which is somebody who Ooh. goes there to study glaciers and understand how they're moving, what are the rocks like on the edge of the glaciers so they can figure out, you know, what okay. was there years and years before. And they, they do a whole load of studying um, around yeah, glaciers uh, and their impact on, on the whole area. I think we didn't really say that so we said it's inhabitable for people to be there, but it has a population of around 5,000 people. So you've got these bases, you said there's about 70 bases there. You've got around 5,000 people. That's not including people who are on ships, but then it drops to about 1,000 people during the winter. So that's 5,000 yeah. in the summer and then to about 1,000 people during the long, dark, cold winters that Liam mentioned about earlier. What did you call it? It's called overwintering. Overwintering. No, winter over. No, overwintering, I think it's called. One of those two, one way around. And um, yeah, if you're there for the whole of winter, you've overwintered or winter overed. One of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, essentially, yeah, what's the point of it? Basically science, you know, all the sorts of things we can do there that we can't really do anywhere else because of its environment do you, um, is, do you know is, what they what they have found so the people there you've got the biologists and people looking into it you've also got that they've discovered that they used to be forests and it used to be a whole lot warmer and the reason uh, i know this is that they found dinosaurs there that they found in south america or they've found dinosaurs that they've found in other parts of the world where they now know with plate tectonics that it's actually moved away over the millions of years that it yeah, did okay. actually used to be connected, used to be a forest, used to be really warm. But over that time, it's moved away and it's turned into this icy, barren place. But then it's super well preserved as well. So when they do yeah. find things there, they're normally pretty significant and they can get a lot of information about them. Similar with meteorites. Kath in Western Australia is one of the best places in the world to study meteorites to find them and study them. Nice. Apparently. Um, but yeah, actually, all right, I see your, you You mentioned about like stuff moving around and I'm going to raise you. How many South Poles are there? <laughs> I'm, there's one. Surely there's just one <laughs> South Pole. Well, no, I've teed you up to trick you there, obviously. Uh, no, there's more than one. So rattle through them quickly. There's the geographic South Pole, which is at the very bottom of our Earth. Okay, it's, it's literally where you think it would be, the, the very, very bottom. But because Antarctica moves around, it being a giant ice sheet, that actual South Pole moves by about 10 metres every year. Okay. So every year, they have to go out and they have to move the marker that says this is the South Pole because it is no longer the South Pole because it's moved and the south of the Earth is no longer where it was. <laughs> cool, right? There's also... There's also something called the ceremonial South Pole, which is the one where you see people take pictures um, where all the flags are around it. And it's this big shiny ball um, that you can get. But that's that's like now a little bit away from where the actual South Pole is, because that itself has moved as well over okay. time. There's also the magnetic South Pole. So if you get your compass out, it will point north. Yeah. The yeah. magnetic South Pole is where the, obviously the south would be. 
Now, this is to do with the Earth's magnetic field, and this changes and moves about. Currently, the magnetic South Pole is in the sea somewhere. <laughs> right, but the magnetic North Pole is actually on the snow up on the Arctic, whereas the geographic North Pole is in the sea. <laughs> so just tell me, then, <laughs> how, many, how many South Poles have we got? It's free, but I think there might be a couple of other ones, but they started confusing me at that point, so I stopped reading. <laughs> <laughs> so there's at least three South Poles. That's, that could be a takeaway in itself. One of the reasons then, talking about movement and the plate tectonics and how stuff can move around, is it, there are plate tectonics we've learned about previously that you get volcanoes normally attached to plate tectonics. Did you know that there are active volcanoes in Antarctica? <laughs> with no i like this part because at, at this part what we're doing here is we're just throwing things we've learned at each other and seeing <laughs> if we can catch each other out no i did not know there's a volcano there though <laughs> so that super icy cold place that we were talking about it's got somewhere called mount erebus it's the second highest volcano in antarctica it's the most southern volcano on earth but it's got a permanent lava lake so it's got active lava lake just there all the time running, like even though it's super, super cold there. But yeah, so there's actually an active volcano called Mount Erebus that's in Antarctica. Okay, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last one. We, you can visit there? Do you know you can visit there? Oh, yes. It's not easy though, is it? No, no, well, not at all. <laughs> Why do you think it took so long to find it? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, you've got to look at a giant map. You've got to get yourself to the south of Argentina, basically the very south of South America, or right at the bottom corner of Australia. And then you might be able to get on a boat and uh, do a, a, an Antarctic voyage. Um, it can cost north of 10 grand to do so. And that's not including the fact that you've got to get yourself to South America first. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, you can visit it though. So yeah, if you get yourself to South America, the, yeah, the two ways you can either go on an icebreaker boat, but you need to pass go over something called Drake's Passage, which is a, a known part of the sea where it's super rough, and you need to wait for the the weather to be right for you. And apparently, yeah, going that way can take weeks to get from South America to to the to Antarctica, just because the the seas and everything are so rough, you've got to have a strong stomach for it. Or you can fly, which, yeah, takes a, a few hours itself just to get a bit further down there. You don't get to see much of it, though. It's not so much like you don't really explore out to the South Pole, given it's like 1,800 miles. You know, no. typically you'll be on a boat that will take you to the shore. You might bowl in a little bit and camp as if you have walked to the South Pole, but you haven't really gone anywhere. And then you turn around and get back on your boat. Yeah. And I don't think we even said it at the beginning. 98% of the continent is covered in ice. So it's just 2% where there's like rocks. So you sometimes might see seals or penguins that we jumping off rocks on the edge, getting in. Yeah, 98% of it is covered in ice. It's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, pretty freezing place to go. When, if you ever do get down to the South Pole though, and it just made me think about this when I, when I then read this, if you get to the South Pole, every direction that you go is then north. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you could also run around the world in like two seconds because you just go around the pub. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, every you're not going east, you're not going west, you're you're going north. Um, and they there isn't a time zone there, is there? 
No, uh, you, you, everyone goes on their own time zone from whatever country they're in. So you just, I guess that must make, you know, imagine you're in two different like science centers and you're trying to talk to each other. It must be a nightmare trying to work out what time it is. Um, <laughs> when they're just down the road. Forever. Yeah. Okay. What, what about the future for um, Antarctica? You did a little bit of reading about global warming, didn't you? Just, yeah. just very briefly, I, I think. Well, it, yes, it's a bit of a big deal. And this is partly why scientists are there to try and get a better understanding about it, about what's going on with it, with it, the world, the global climate going up as it is. So it turns out that the Antarctic Peninsula is warming up more quickly than any other place on Earth. And over the last 50 years, the average temperature is increased by three degrees, which doesn't sound like very much, but that's five times the average that the Earth is increasing. So it's just showing that, yeah, that, yeah. that part is feeling it most in terms of its, its temperature rising. But what happens, so if ice melts, you know, the, the seas get higher, don't they? Did you read anything into yeah, it about it, what would Antarctica happen? melt? Because it's, well, it will never completely melt, but if it did completely melt, the seas would rise by about 60 metres. 60 metres. That's as high as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> it's as high as the Magic Kingdom Castle in Disneyland. Like, <laughs> but that, that's, that's but every bit of sea. To put that into some sort of context, if that were to happen, then you would lose a lot of the east, the southeast of England. So London and East Anglia and going up the coast there, they'd be in, they, they wouldn't be here anymore, basically. Yeah, going up that much. If Antarctica were to melt, super unlikely, and you would like to think never going to happen, but it's almost just that thing about rising sea levels because um, of all the climate change that's yeah. going on. Yeah, okay. Right. Have you got any good takeaways this week? Yeah, I have got a two guys, one topic takeaway for you. And I thought this was a pretty snappy one, nice and easy for someone to try and remember if they wanted to share some knowledge with a mate of theirs. So we were saying how it is the coldest, windiest, highest, driest continent. The coldest temperature ever recorded on Earth has been done in Antarctica, which was minus 89.2 degrees. And that was done at the Russian station called Vostok in 1983. So yeah, minus 89.2 degrees at the Russian station called Vostok. Wow. That is chilly. Super chilly. Super chilly. Go on then. Go on, hit us with yours. What's your two guys, one topic takeaway? Okay, the Arctic Circle and the Antarctic Circle, right? They are imaginary lines that run around the Earth. The yeah. vast majority of Antarctica is below the Antarctic Circle. And we've mentioned it previously when we're talking about the Northern Lights. If you go into the Arctic Circle, you'll see the Northern Lights up north. Um, that is an imaginary line running around the top of the Earth. The Antarctic and the Arctic Circle are the points on the Earth where they get, we talked about Antarctica getting full like days on days of sun and days on days on days of dark. The Antarctic Circle is the point where you get exactly one full day of sun and exactly one full day of dark every year. So everything below that gets loads of sun and loads of dark. Yeah. And everything okay. above it does not have does not have any full days of sun or any full days of dark. Nice. So that That's line. Really interesting. That's 
So that that line then you're saying it gets one full day of sun and one full day of dark. Like that's like the cutover. Yeah. So if you're if you're below that, you're going to get more than a full day of sunlight at some point in the year. If you're below that or towards the middle of the earth, like we are, like most people are, that never really happens, does it? No. Um, so if you go to like if you go to Iceland, for example, they get like 20 hours of sunlight in a day, but they don't get a full day of sunlight because they're not above the Arctic Circle. Yep. But if you go you go higher up into Norway, you, you can go up into Norway and places like that where they get like days on days. Brilliant. Yeah, so good. What a nice takeaway. Hopefully uh, that will stick in someone's someone's mind when they're, they're talking to their friends and sharing some knowledge. Well, Liam, I think you summed it up pretty nicely about 10 minutes ago saying Antarctica being you know, a, a research centre where scientists and a lot of ologists are there conducting, uh, yeah. conducting experiments and trying to understand more about what's going on with it. And it's sort of similar to the International Space Station in a lot of respects, because you, you're sort of out there for six months, you're doing your work, and then trying to figure out how you can then run these science experiments and yeah. learn a little bit more. But Yeah, I totally agree. How have you found like learning about some of the, the race to the pole and some of that stuff though? Oh, oh yeah, I thought that was really interesting. I, I don't know if that is a film, but if it is a film, I should probably watch that film because just reading about that was quite exciting. Um, yeah. You know, the, the two guys both happened to go at the same time, took different ideas, went different directions. Um, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Like you said, it, is, it seemed very much like the International Space Station. I imagine living there must be all very the same. You've got to ration your food. You know, if it were to run out, you'd be in trouble. You can't go outside for very long at a time. Right, lots of that. So really interesting this week. Yeah, great. Good episode. Yeah, really good. Brilliant to hit the ground running, series five. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We hope that you've enjoyed that as much as we have enjoyed learning about it and, and chatting about Antarctica. We'll be back with you with another episode next week. In the meantime, let us know where you're going to share some knowledge with some friends in some random countries around the world. And um, yeah, it'd be great to see if we can just try and hit a few more of those countries around the world. Get in contact with us at Two Guys One Topic on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks very much, everybody. Get out there and share yourself some Antarctica knowledge.